and welcome to the Jewish Mother Me podcast. This is the podcast that ponders the great question, Jewish mothers, should every home have one? I'm Angela Epstein. I'm Lynn Dover. I'm Noemi Lopian. And together we look at not our own mothers or not at parenting matters. This is about the great Jewish matriarchs that came before us, thinking about the wisdom, the humour, and all of the things that they may have imprinted upon us and what we can learn from them. So we hope it will be an uplifting listen for you. And today we're absolutely thrilled to have with our special guest, Paul Mason. Paul, as many of you will probably have seen and heard, was a very illustrious career as an award-winning journalist, but he was, amongst other things, former business editor of Newsnight and also Channel 4 News. Yes, and no, I'm a freelance journalist uh, and it's all much more precarious and chaotic, but I enjoy it. Now, Paul, great, great pleasure to have you on the podcast and we're absolutely thrilled that you're here. Although technically, considering this podcast is Jewish Mother Me and Judaism, for those that may not be aware, is is a matrilineal religion. It comes down the mother's line. Your late mum was not actually religiously, or as they say in Hebrew, halachically Jewish, but your father was. My grandfather was Jewish. So your mother's father. If we could start at a point of poignant thing that I discovered when I met you for the first time, we'll go back to 2017 when your mum sadly passed away after a long battle with breast cancer. You said that you found a Yiddish phrase book by her bedside. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, my mum lived the last few years of her life in Prestwich, uh, North Manchester, which, as you know, is a Jewish community. And she grew up and was partially brought up by her grandparents, who, as we might discuss, were immigrants from Poland via the USA, which is an interesting story itself. They spoke Yiddish in the household in Kensington in Liverpool. And so she she would often occasionally use the odd Yiddish word, but would certainly respond to it. You know, on those moments in the old Hollywood black and white films where someone comes out with a Yiddish phrase, my mum would be straight off, you know, this is what that means. And so it was interesting that when when she died in 2017, that she'd borrowed from one of her neighbours this Yiddish phrase book And there it was on the bedside. And I know that for mum, her Jewish ancestry was a really important thing, even though she was a devout Catholic and indeed converted to Catholicism uh, to marry my father. She was well aware of that background and made me well aware of it as well. How did she make you aware of it? Well, in the most brutal possible way, because I write in my my book, How to Stop Fascism, which came out in, in 2020, is about the history and present of the far right. But I start the book with the the anecdote about age five watching the TV and an episode of something called All Our Yesterdays came on, which was an old kind of nostalgia news programme. And it it was the episode which showed the liberation of Bergen-Belsen. And uh, my mum leaps out of the chair and just switches it off. She said, we're not watching that. And to the five-year-old me, she gave me a very basic explanation of what I'd just seen, because I'd just seen piles of bodies being bulldozed into a ditch. And from then on, you know, I became aware of, even in 1965-66, we weren't calling it the Holocaust, uh, but I became aware of the mass murder of Jews uh, and that she was half Jewish and felt that she would have been a victim of that had we lost the war. She often spoke about it. Her own father who was a Jewish dance band musician, a quite a glamorous figure, had died in 1940 of TB during a time when they were living in an air raid shelter. So this, these memories of my mother, she was well aware during the war of the threat that she faced and well, even more aware of it once we discovered the full horror of what had happened. It's quite interesting because she, having been severed from her own father, she was then severed from her mother 
her own mother remarried. So she was largely brought up by these two sets of grandparents, one of whom were Jewish in Liverpool, and the other set, equally glamorous, ran a theatrical boarding house in Lee. So my mum was surrounded in childhood by clowns, dwarfs, and trumpet players. <laughs> so that's my mum and the whole Jewish side of things. We, we later got to know our, our Jewish relatives, and I still am in touch with one of them. But the whole Jewish side of things for my mum was a very important thing that she ported from her ancestry and her early childhood into her into her life really so do you think she felt nostalgic for her jewish background and missed it well she certainly had a jewish background i mean i don't know whether that family the lewises were hugely observant but they were culturally very jewish because it was liverpool it was the interwar period and they you know she was born in 1935 so from 1940s were war really uh, that she's being shunted backwards and forwards up the East Lanks Road between two families and was well aware of, of the culture, the language. I mean, when, when we eventually visited our quite distant Jewish relatives, her, you know, the, our cousins, second cousins, etc., you could tell that the food, you know, the lakshan pudding, the chopped liver and matzo, <laughs> where every, where, I mean, I, I know it's, to you, it probably sounds really stereotypical. It's almost like from a sitcom. But to us, it was, whoa, what is this? Um, but to my mum, it was, this is what I grew up eating. You better eat it. Oh, you know, so. so it had an exotic sort of air to it, almost. Well, to me, obviously, it did. To her, not. And also, my mum, as I said, uh, converted to Catholicism, was a very devout convert to it as well. And we, I went to a Catholic grammar school uh, and to a Catholic primary school. And at the grammar school, we were taught by priests, often, you know, who come from rural Ireland, and, and I won't beat about the bush, there were anti-Semites among those teachers. How did they express well, their anti-Semitism? Well, when I revealed the fact that I was a quarter Jewish, the word Jew boy was, <laughs> was occasionally said. You know, I'm talking about you know, the Catholic grammar schools of the 1970s were not happy places in many respects, in terms Ooh. of violence, abuse, and in terms of racism, not brilliant. So it made me aware of it as well. But it all got overlaid by things like the Six Day War, so my, the Catholic priests were very pro-Israel during the, the Six Day War. And indeed, the Israeli, the, the IDF turned up at the school, apparently, to recruit. I don't know how. Really? Uh, Is that I true? This, but I, was to, I don't know, but they told us that, the, that this had happened. Um, and they were fairly pleased by that. So it was the 60s and 70s when we didn't have words for things and we didn't have things that were going on were, were not properly explained to you. But I was... Yeah, I was pretty negatively aware of the kind of stigma of that. And, and you know, I mean, it's ever since it's been something, it, it's been interesting to be a white Gentile person with only, you know, I've got 27%. Uh, <laughs> it might, it might, that might be real. It might be real. Yeah. One of my Gentile ancestors is from Eastern Europe. So, you know, you never know. But the 27% Ashkenazi Jewish uh, DNA it's, it, no, according to 23andMe, it, it is almost exactly where they're, they're described as coming from. It's the Lithuanian and Northern Polish DNA group of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage. Yeah, Paul, this is really, really fascinating. And in a way, I want to take you back again to being that child of five. Is that how you found out that you were Jewish with that clip of the liberation of Bergen? Yes, yes I think so. It, it had never come up before. My mother wasn't identity. You know, we weren't identifying. You know, even things like DNA and ancestry weren't things you talked about. I wasn't aware 
of any ancestors I had beyond my great grandparents who were still alive. This this theatrical boarding house couple were were very much in my life. Obviously, the the Jewish great grandparents were both dead by then. The Jewish grandparent was dead. The woman he married, uh, Mary Zena Co, uh, was uh, still very much alive and still very much. Although she she'd remarried after his death, that there was an air, there was an atmosphere of sort of mourning and nostalgia about him because he'd been the love of her life. His name was Aaron Lewis, but it was universally known as Lou, L-O-U, Lewis. And he was a sort of semi-famous dance band musician, ultra glamorous uh, for a place like Lee. And when I went, as a child of about six or seven, I went rooting about in cupboards. And it's very, very instructive in both my grandparents' cupboards. So in my, you know, my Gentile Christian working class mining grandparents, they had in their airing cupboard, uh, an old gas mask. I remember finding gas mask from the war. In the same place in the side that had once been the place where my Jewish grandfather had lived, I found a whole different set of things. Straw boaters, you know, first all, you know, the-, the Oh, wow, the ones with the heads and feet on. Yep, um, <laughs> an amazing set of silver, silver metallic canasta cards i don't even know what canasta is but it's apparently you need two decks of cards okay. these very very like 1930s cocktail bar and then of course the musical instruments of a violin and so i kind of associated that past with that world and and they did you know they had all the memorabilia they had his photographs of my grandfather aaron lewis were you know i mean of somebody who is ultra sharp slick 1930s dance band musician i uh, i have a photograph of him with his entire suite of instruments because he was a sax player he had everything from a soprano to a double bass sax which is the size of a kind of elephant trunk and he has got them all laid out in front of him he's wearing his kind of tailored tuxedo that was a world that was a world away mm. from a kid in the 60s growing up in a mining ex you know it's a mining lorry yes. driving family yeah so but then you grew it, up very much in the Roman Catholic world, but were aware of your Jewishness. Oh, so mum, yeah, yeah I was. I, I, was that difficult? No, was that problematic? Was it nice? Was well, it unpleasant? Was it embarrassing? I, feel it, I felt it, and always have felt it as an as a as an extra dimension that I have. My mother passed on to me. You know, we're musicians. My grand my grandfather was a musician. My mother was a really talented musician, uh, and and I studied music at. at, at school and college and, and got my first degree in music so I've always been very well very much aware of Jewishness in music you know the whole that I, I now realize as a musician the the influences are on on popular music and on classical music that were there that I just felt like I, I, I'm only I'm describing them as feelings rather than thoughts but you ask was it difficult being aware of anti-semitism in a Catholic school when there are, to my knowledge, there were no practicing Jews there. I mean, there could have been because it was quite an eclectic place had they wanted to go, but there weren't. And so there was a bit of weirdness about it. And as I said to you before, you know, the occasionally, you know, the, the occasionally you heard anti-Semitic remarks. Um, for, Has that weirdness stayed with you? I'm a lefty. I'm a socialist. And a lot of that is about my rebellion against the education I had. In, in the Catholic uh, grammar school era. But growing up in, a, in an English mining town, there were Ukrainians, non-Jewish, of course, Ukrainians, and 
there were Irish people, but you know, I was, I, there were people with dark hair, but you know, I had really quite dark hair and, and, uh, and so I, I knew that I looked a bit different from everybody else. And the other thing is, you know, people talked about it. So you talked about it. My mum was quite open about it as a, so I knew, and because of being musical, then we taught, you know, we, I, you know, I think, how did it, how was it explained to me that a lot of Jews were musicians? My, my grandfather had been a musician and a lot of other Jews had been musicians and therefore it was a thing. And then once you get, start studying music, you're very aware, especially if you start studying Wagner, outright anti-Semite, mm-hmm. writes an entire book about Jewishness in music. You start thinking, maybe my love of schmaltzy Hollywood tunes is, is something to do with my DNA, <laughs> I don't know. But it's my mother's love of those tunes and her love of the i mean she had and it was an object of great nostalgia she had all the 78s of her dad's performances they are quite schmaltzy but there's a lot of actually if you if you listen to some of the great hollywood tunes which were, were written by jewish musicians yeah. there's what what they call um, you know the the cantor singing the chazanut the sound yeah. of the, the the singer from the synagogue sort of imbues itself in some of the music. Now your mum, after after she'd ha- after you and your sister went to school, she was, re- was um, recruited as a teacher without a degree and, and went to night school, got a teaching certificate and ended her career as a, as a head teacher. In that world that she moved in, did she have Jewish friends or did she connect in any other way with her Jewishness? I mean, living in Lee, which, which today we, we know very well, but you know, broadcasting here from Manchester, not a particularly Jewish area in no. terms of a community. Did she have sort of others? As far as I know, as far as I know, no. We did visit our relatives in Liverpool once and they visited us. And it was a bit of two worlds collide. I talked about the the food situation, which was, I think there was equal equal shock on both sides of the food situation, which is weird now, isn't it? Because you wouldn't do, I mean, we're we're all so cosmopolitan about food now, but that was a, a thing. I think she felt it as a bit of a missing thing, especially because... You know, all, all family relations had either died. Some had moved to Israel as well. So there was a, I, when I look at my DNA, it's, there's a huge number of DNA relatives in the United States, a few in Israel, a, a couple in France, a few in Britain, and none east of Antwerp. It's the, that, that line has been, you know, totally eradicated by mm. genocide. So she didn't have that. But then, I mean, my mother had several lives. My own father died in 1986 and she remarried a, a few years later, moved to Shropshire with a very different person, had you know, a lovely time wandering the world, really. I mean, she traveled the world, which she hadn't done uh, with, with my own father. And then when her second husband died, she moved to Presswich in the same street as, as my sister. And suddenly she's now surrounded by a very clearly Jewish culture. You know, you can't move up, <laughs> up very old road, very new road. And for a Jewish culture that we hadn't really seen, you know, apart from there's an Orthodox Jewish culture, there's a very observant culture, there's the shops and the styles of dress. So suddenly she's, she's got access to that. And I think she, she didn't make the most of it. I, I mean, in her street, you know, where, where she lives is two or three out of 10 or 15 of the households are Jewish and she kind of filled her boots on cheesecake, I think, uh, <laughs> and everything else. You must have therefore then had access to that community too, presumably when I did. you came and, to see and, her and, or your sister. Yeah, I did. And I, I wouldn't say there was anybody I know very well, but we've, we've, always, uh, we've always been on good terms. My sister still lives there. And I, I think it's more the interest, I'm interested in the area itself. Um, 
it's I never really knew I, I mean I knew Cheetham Hill but I never went any further north than Cheetham Hill we're getting very parochial for people listening <laughs> yeah well, your sister interested in the Jewishness like you why is it a similar yeah, so we, or same experience got, yeah, for her no yeah we, we, we both had, she, my sister was a head teacher as well uh, in Salford and therefore you know she, uh, has you know been a professional teacher during that time of where multiculturalism and and, and multi-religious education has, has taken over. The frustration is because my mother experienced a genealogical break. You know, I've had more, e more contact with people in New York I don't know to try and get hold of details of what they did and where they lived than I have with living Jewish relatives. Uh, or, and only, How did only... your dad feel about all the Jewishness? Well, he was a left-wing socialist like me, and so therefore he... He thought it was brilliant. I'll, I'll tell you a story that on the day my mother died, I had to phone my uncle and tell him. And my uncle is a very stoic person. And he told me a, an anecdote about my mum that I'd never heard. My mum met my dad. My dad was a ex-miner, factory worker, but trombone player in a dance band. So mm -hmm. they had music in common. Uh, he was semi-pro and he earned quite a decent second wage playing the trombone in the dance band. It's in the Stan Kenton era in the, in the 40s and 50s. So she met my dad and they're a mining family who lived in an absolute tip, to be honest. It was in a really kind of poor area. And so my uncle told me about, of the first time they ever met my mum. And so they all went down to a pub and had a drink and in walks my mum. My mum looks a bit like Elizabeth Taylor. And, and, and was remarked on being quite good looking. <laughs> so my mum, jet black hair, five foot two, in a red kind of bodice with a beret and a black pleated skirt, sits down, orders a baby sham and gets out a cigarette in a holder. Uh, okay. How sophisticated. This is in a mining pub in Leib, and they're all. <laughs> And my granddad, who's a very tough guy, a very tough, rough guy, was very impressed by this. And, and, the, and, and they just couldn't believe that my dad had met anybody who did this or had the pizzazz to do this. And then he says, well, what are you drinking? Blah, blah, blah. And she's another baby sham. And then they said, well, how old are you? And she was 17. Now, Guts. in the 1950s, you couldn't go in a pub until you're 21. And so they were going, she's 17. And anyway, my mum blew them away. And I think she always was this kind of mysterious bohemian, you know, highly educated for them. Her first job at age 15, she, she, let, she went to grammar school, left at 15 and became the operator of something called a comptometer, which is a mechanical computer that used, was used to do payrolls in factories. So she was, she was all probably earning quite significant money. And then once for my dad, you know, my dad worshipped music. My dad worshipped, for example, bebop, jazz and worshipped classical music as a dance and brass band trombonist and brought me up, you know, my musical instrument influences are not just my mum, but to get, I think they had that together. They had that. And, and as the both of them were, were very progressive people and were very keen once I was, you know, of an age where you could talk about it, to talk to me about what had happened before and during the Second World War. On the Jewish Mother Me podcast, we're very invested in the wisdom of Jewish matriarchs that came before us and often talk about when lot, we've interviewed lots of sort of people in the public aisle, people who've just had a very strong story to tell. And we often ask them about any wisdom that they got from their mother. 
And my, my late mother used to say the world would be better if you could feel other people's pain. Um, and step it back another couple of generations. Your family may not have been here had they not escaped from. They, yeah, the absolutely. They were so well aware of that. You know, my mother was really well mm. aware of that. And it's interesting that the story of my family, the, the, I'm still not clear where, whether they were from Poland or Lithuania, because the family memory says Lithuania, but and it was called the Kingdom of Poland and Lithuania. But some of the other genealogists have, have traced it them back to Warsaw. Anyway, they, they were well aware that by going to the United States in the 1880s, they had basically, they had been looked out. And at one point they were thinking, should we move to Germany? But, and they didn't do that. But uh, well, that's what family folklore says. No, I think I've been an anti-racist all my life and been taught to be an anti-racist by my mom and my dad. You know, my dad was a very strong anti-racist in a white community. Uh, insofar as, you know, there's limits to what kind of people's education allows them to understand, but he, he was, I'd say. It's understanding what David Bedil says in that book, the title of the book, Jews Don't Count. A lot of time, we created a hierarchy of racism. Some people's racism is, is, is more deeply felt than others. Going to Poland, it was interesting, obviously not just to visit Majdanek, to talk to Jewish intellectuals. There is, of course, in Poland, a big furore about our... You know, you know the phenomenon of the Judenjagd, basically the mopping up of the Jewish community that took place once the main death camps had been closed or finished their work. And I walked into this controversy when I was there, controversy about whether the Polish historians who point the finger at the Polish police and even members of the Polish community for this, whether they are unpatriotic. And again, you know, I've been in arguments on the left between Zionism and anti-Zionism or Zionism and post-Zionism. Once you've been to Poland and realised how and heard how the word Zionism is used by Poles, you'll never use it in the way, that kind of casual kind of way that some people on the left do again. So, yeah, I think now going forward, I hope that we in Labour can have a constructive, let's say constructive, it's always going to be constructively critical relationship with a Jewish community in Britain that is highly politically diverse. You look at what's going on in Israel today, there's a huge argument over Netanyahu's legal reforms. Um, we'll be part of that argument. Um, but yeah, the best thing is to to learn. And, and, I'm, and for people who hear this, I'm a public figure. I'm always prepared to listen uh, to more. Uh, of what you want me to learn. It's not something that I believe is a, a finished process. If I was to ask you to describe her, if she were to walk in the room today, what would we see and what would we hear? How was she? I think my mum, when she was young, was pretty glamorous. Uh, and when she was older, she always carried a kind of wisdom uh, and, a, and an otherness that came from that mixture of the Jewish background in Liverpool, the lost childhood, the lost glamour of her father, and so I, I, I still see her. When I close my eyes, I see this very glamorous and talented and musical person, full of life, very sparkly-eyed, full of inspiration. Almost everything I studied at school, whether it be a music or Shakespeare, she studied with me and we had to go through it. And so I think that she deserves to be in your pantheon of Jewish mums, even though she was only half Jewish ethnically. She certainly carried so much of the feeling with her of the childhood that she had had and the bit of it that she'd also missed. I want to tell you, Paul, what comes across all this is the love that you have for your mum and that she was... I do, I do. And that's the, I didn't want to now say in case no, it sounds... No, no, exactly. We say exactly, smelty, but, you know, but that's the most beautiful... Welcome. 
Yeah, and you. it's and not I, a given. It's never a given no, that mother-son or mother-daughter relationship. What's great is to be able to talk about her now, you know, despite the fact she's gone, that mm. yeah, she went at the right time, she wanted to go, and, you know, we all felt a deep sense of loss. But now, you know, I, I can think about her with, with equanimity. I, I'm, I've got her in my head as what she oh. was. Yeah, it's good. That's beautiful, good. beautiful. As I say, as I say to my own sons, I say you're a boy chick to be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'll have to look at what all these things mean in my mum's book. Well, we're very grateful for that, Paul. And it, mean, it means a great deal, honestly. It means a great deal that you spent the time speaking to us today, but also that, that, you, you, that you feel that way because, as, as Noemi said, and, and as we've spoken around many Friday night dinner tables over the fabled pots of chicken soup, um, there was a time when we wondered whether we had a future in this country, and it, it's deeply heartening to hear what you said. Um, and I would echo what you'd say, that anybody who has an opportunity to go to places like Majdanek and Dachau and the various concentration camps scattered across Europe, uh, sobering moments to show about the blackest moment in human history and what, what evil is capable of and what hatred leads to. We'd like to finish though on a lighter note. Here's a gear change for a conversation. Um, we normally say as we, as we round up with our podcasts, um, if there's any maternal wisdom you've picked up, say, like I mentioned my own mother's saying before, anything that you picked up from your mum that's a life lesson that ricochets around your head when you're making choices, maybe about your life, your work, what you write, what you say, anything. Um, we've got, we've had some belting ones. Um, what's your favourite? You can't have your tokas on two chasnas. Yeah, you can't. Any tokas <laughs> You can't have one bum in two places. Yeah, <laughs> you can't have one bum in two places. Do we wondered if you had any Jewish wisdom to share? It doesn't have to be Jewish wisdom. Any wisdom from you know, your mum? I, I don't think it. I don't think it is Jewish wisdom. What it is, it, I, I know. I could say that there's all kinds of sayings that I could vaguely remember that that she said that. There's a whole mix of, of backgrounds in, in, in our family. But what I'd say is the power of music, the power of maternal singing. My mum would sing to me. Oh. And I, she wouldn't sing, she wouldn't, I, to my knowledge, she never sang any klezmer music or anything like that. But she, <laughs> would, she would sing to me all kinds of things. And, and I find my, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I, I, I did singing training at one point and I love singing. When I teach people, I love to things about music. I love. Did to you teach have them. a favorite of your mum's? Well, oh, my mum's favorite song was "How Are Things in Glockamora," which is oh, a okay. which it's a kind of faux faux Irish song. It's kind of a, the worst kind of Irish song. It's not really Irish. It's kind of a Hollywood. Do we get but, a couple but, of bars before you go, Paul? How are things in Glockamora? I can't remember the words. I, I can hear my mum singing. How are things in Glockamora now, right now? And I think that um, I think she brought oh. what what for her those those songs were were like gifts from a tradition, which is this dance band kind of tradition that she felt she was part of. That to me, and a way of I am an unashamed sentimentalist and romantic when it comes to that kind of music, and I think that's what she's bequeathed to me. And it's the emollient power of it. I mean, I, I, I can only remember one line of it, but if I could remember all of it, I would sing it for you because I think it would be a lovely, oh. uh, it would be a it would be a lovely way of communicating. Look, Paul, <laughs> Brian Epstein discovered the Beatles, so Angela Epstein, together with Lindover and Noemi Lopin, discovered the the great singing talent of Paul Mason. Paul, it's been an absolute joy to for you to have shared so many memories, so many thoughts. 
Um, and uh, you know, we, we wish you every success with uh, whichever way your your career goes next. It's already sort of reached great Who heights. Who knows? Anyway, um, to, but, my um, mom, to my mum, to my mum, Julia Lewis. Uh, thank you. Well, we dedicate this episode to, to yeah. Julia Lewis, mum of Paul Mason, author, broadcaster, writer, musician, songster, and all many other things as well. You've been listening to the Jewish Mother Me podcast produced by Phil Salter from Northern Air Productions. My name's Angela Epstein. I'm Lynn Dover. I'm Noemi Lopian. You can find us on lots of different places. You can find us on Instagram and Spotify <laughs> and across all platforms. Do get in touch with us via Facebook if you uh, there's anything else that you'd uh, like us to cover as well. But until next time, a huge thank you to you, Paul. Thanks again. Thank a you pleasure. For being great so great open. to meet you.